When I was an elementary school student, I had a teacher, as many of you have had. Her name was Mrs. Brittingham. And one of the remarkable things about this teacher was that she was unconventional. And so when we came into her class, she did what everyone would do at the beginning of the school day. She would check roll. She would take attendance. She would find out who was there and who was not. And only her manner lacked the accoutrements of custom because I had been accustomed, even at my young age, of hearing the teacher call out our names. To which we would say, here, or if you're a little more sophisticated, present. And as I got older, maybe, present and accounted for, ma'am. But no, Mrs. Brittingham had a different style altogether. Because when you walked into her classroom, and she was trying to account for who was in the room, it would go a little something like this. Hello, Eric. That was my name. And I would have to respond, Hello, Mrs. Brittingham. (laughs) Yes, and then everyone would giggle. (laughs) Now, she always spoke with her hand. (laughs) We did not have to respond with our hands, but we did have to respond in song. It was weird. (laughs) But I sure remember it. And it was a signal, because I loved Mrs. Brittingham. And if you know of her whereabouts, let me know. I've lost track of her in these many years. But one of the things about her singing her welcome to us in the morning and us responding with a song of our own was it alerted me to the fact that I was in a different kind of class. That we were about to do something that was way different than what we were doing the rest of the day, than what we were doing on the playground when we played, or when what we were doing when we were doing math class, or when we were reading, or doing social studies. We were in a way different kind of class, the kind of class where you were welcomed with a song that elicited from you a song in response. And one of the things that's amazing as we think about this continuation of developing skills to help us live in the most real world is this enjoinment from the psalm writer in Psalm 96, which your reader just read, me. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. His glory, declare it among the nations. His marvelous deeds among the peoples. This is called an enthronement psalm. And it's a psalm that exiles would sing. to remind them of what was presently not available as evidence to their eyes. See, that's what good singing does. Mrs. Brittingham alerted us, we're in a different kind of world here, a world where the teacher sings to you and you sing back. It was music class. And the psalmist alerts us that the people of God are people who sing because we are people who straddle two worlds. There's the world that we can see, sure. The world where it's 
rainy and foggy and where you have to get up and go to work in the morning and there's bills to pay. Your team gets beaten on an unlikely pass at the last minute. Sorry, Hutch. There's that world. That was totally impromptu. And now Hutch is crying. And I didn't mean to stir up bad things in him. There's that world, but there's also the world... The world that we believe has been invaded by the benevolent reign of Jesus. He has been enthroned as the king. He holds the keys now to death. He has opened up immortality to us. He has begun to cause death to work backwards and sad things to be redeemed things. And we're a people who sing because it's not always clear to us that this is the case. And it wouldn't be clear to the people of God in exile either when they're not in the land they were promised. And they're not with their own king on the throne. It would be easy to think, sovereign Lord doesn't reign. Sennacherib reigns. Or the king of Babylon reigns. Cyrus must be in charge, or other gods must be in charge. And so songs were needed to remind them that they lived in a world that God was actually reigning, even when the evidence seemed to suggest the contrary. And the other thing about Mrs. Brittingham's song to us is that her song generated a song back. And of course, this is the thing that we have to realize when it comes to singing, and we're going to talk about singing today if you haven't gathered that already, is that one of the ways that the Apostle Paul envisions what has happened with Jesus, who has been installed as the king, is that the way that he imparts his kingship, the way that he enacts his administration over the world, where he is reversing and rehabilitating and reuniting estranged parties as he does it in song. He says in Romans 15, as he's urging people in the church to accept one another as Christ has accepted them, he says, I tell you, Christ has become servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm promises made to the patriarchs, to the fathers in the faith, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. That's us, the Gentiles. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. And Reggie Kidd, my professor, in an amazing book that has helped me a lot in thinking about worship and thinking about singing called With One Voice, says what Paul envisions here is that our Savior sings a summons to the world. He sings the nations into submission. There is a song in heaven that goes out, only not like the siren song that draws people into their destruction to bash into the rocks, but it is a song that is alluring and wooing that calls people to receive what they've been longing for. The reason that we sing, the reason that we're called to sing throughout the Bible, the reason the Apostle Paul could tell the Colossians and the Ephesians a very similar thing. Let the message of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another and as you sing psalms and hymns 
and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. The reason that the Bible tells us to do this is because we're joining in to the song that Christ is singing over us. Mrs. Brittingham sang to us and it warranted a song back. And her song alerted us that we are in a different kind of world. And that's why the Bible calls us to be a people who sing. Whether you can do it too good or not, we're all called to join into this song. And I'm going to give you a few reasons why we ought to sing, why we ought to consider this. And maybe it'll open us up to considering our singing in a different way than we may have done in the past. The first thing that these songs give us as we join together one day in seven and sing together as you sing in the shower or as you sing a family hymn together or as you sing on your hall at the dorm, it gives you the joy of rediscovery. Now hearken back with me, if you would, for just a minute to 1982. You know Journey. You know Steve Perry. There was a popular power ballad that Journey came up with. Their keyboardist wrote this. It's about, a, it's about life as a music man on the road separated from your baby. You know it. Even if you weren't alive in 1982, you've heard it. Through space and time, always another show. And being apart ain't easy on this love affair. Two strangers learn to fall in love again. I get the joy of rediscovering you. I'm forever yours. Faithfully. Oh, 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 oh. You know the song, don't you? Yeah, you know the song. You've got it on your iPod. Don't lie. God will find you out. What a lovely line, though. I, when I've been separated from you, this music man says, when we come back together, I get the joy of rediscovering you. And it seems to me that a very apt description of what happens when we sing together, why God gave us the gift of music, which Martin Luther called the second best gift he gave us next to theology. Music. Because music is what helps us. Songs that we sing to God are what help us rediscover Him and rediscover our relation to Him. It helps us to access what we cannot access with mere words or by ourselves. We recently got a new telephone number. We switched our phone service after many years with great reluctance. And I noticed just the other day that there was a beeping light on the phone. And I also noticed that I do not know how to check our messages now. So if you've called us at our home, sorry. We will not be calling you back. Because I don't know how to check the messages. And I need to take the time to figure it out. It's not that complex, I'm sure. But it's not the way we used to do it. You see, if you get a message from somebody and you don't know how to access it, it really doesn't do you any good. There might be somebody on our phone who's told us we won a million dollars. That would change our lives in a substantial way, but I can't get to it. 
I don't know how to access it. Well, I think in this rediscovery vehicle called a song, the songs we sing to God, we get to access parts of our lives that we can't access on our lonesomes. We can't access when we're by ourselves. We can't access just with a, with a word. We sometimes need it put to melody and express it together. And one of the things that we learn to access is God's very real affection for us. The Bible is replete with the kind of assurances that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. There is something that happens when we get together and we unite our voices together to the Lord that he is living in the neighborhood of those praises. The reassurance to exilic Jews in Zephaniah is that the Lord will rejoice over you with singing. He will quiet you with his love. You know, the Apostle Paul telling anxious people, people in conflict at Philippi, rejoice. I say again, rejoice. It's a safeguard for you, he says. Rejoicing in the Lord Singing to him is a safeguard. It's a protection. It accesses this sense that God is on our side, that he's with us, that he's for us. That famous psalm, Psalm 62, where the psalmist is dealing with a suffocating ache in his soul. I long for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I am parched to the bone, emaciated with my absence of being connected to you. And he envisions being with the people of God in the place of worship to God. And he says, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods with singing lips. My mouth will praise you. He recognized that there was something that could happen when he was singing in the congregation that would be akin to his soul getting a double helping at the Golden Corral. Now, that disgusts some of you. It disgusts me, too, believe it or not. (laughs) But your soul will be satisfied as with the richest affair as I sing your praise on my lips. We get access to God's love for us as we sing, and that's why William Cooper could pen those poignant words. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian. When he sings, it is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, he gives the soul a gift, a season of clear shining to cheer it after the rain. God knows there are many rain clouds hovering around your daily life. He knows the sorrows that are baked into your soul sometimes. And sometimes, just sometimes, when you're singing, you get a glimpse As God comes to visit, a healing touch, a whisper that you're not alone, that you're loved, that it's all true, to cheer you after the rain. We get the joy of rediscovering God's love for us when we sing. But you know what also we get? We get the joy of rediscovering our love for him. Some things are not really fully experienced, fully known, until they can be well articulated. I think back to 
when our first boy was born, and he was very small, and he was eating our lunch. He was running our lives. He was just this tall, and he weighed eight pounds, and I had slept two hours and 48 days. And I would sing to this little boy, and he would look at me, those blue eyes. And I don't know where he got this profound intensity, but he would be staring through me as I sang, looking almost into my soul. And I can remember singing to him and just dams breaking of love, unaccounted for affection just pouring out of me as I held this little fellow who was ruining us, but I could not. But anything offered love to him. I just was crazy about him and I couldn't stand it. Now I've known it twice with these little boys. But the song, song, accessed my love for him in ways that I couldn't do with a mere word. Things I couldn't get through with mere logic. I had to well up things from deep within. God calls us, because we are not automatons, to sing because there's a humanizing part of singing, especially when you're singing someone else's words. Someone who has the skill to put to music what you wish you had said, that has a key to unlock hidden longings, hidden affections, inaccessible things that you can express and find yourself saying, oh my goodness, it's true. I really do love God. I really do want more of God in my life. I really do want to be connected to Him. Because throughout the week, it gets easy to forget. Throughout the week, it gets easy to be an amnesiac. It gets easy to be apathetic. It gets easy to start to wonder, where is God in my life? And one day in seven, we're treated with this joy of being together where we can sing with one voice, to access our love for Him. You get the joy when you sing of rediscovery, of accessing God's love for you, your love for Him. You also get the joy of rediscovering one of the central features of Jesus' kingship and His work for us. Namely, Liberation from yourself. Do you realize this? I say this with some regularity, and I do not care if it sounds like a repeat, because it is true and it is necessary for us to believe. One of the biggest problems that you have existentially on a day-by-day basis is just having to live with yourself. Do you know this to be true? It is why, for instance, you cannot be alone and still for more than about 37 seconds. Because you find the prospect of being alone with yourself nearly intolerable. Who wants to spend time with themselves, after all? You get quiet, and all of a sudden, you're berated with all the things that you should have done, and you didn't. All the ways you should have been, but you weren't. You start thinking about what somebody else has got, and you don't have. You start thinking of all the things you need to do and you're not going to be able to do and you're scared of them. You start worrying. 
you are encountering regularly very unpleasant experiences of being with yourself. And so God, knowing this, knowing that sin, as Luther would say, curves a person in on themselves, that when you come into contact with Jesus, one of the things that starts to happen, one of the liberations of this good news of the gospel is that you get pulled out. You get slung out of yourself. And this can happen when you sing. You notice I said it can happen. It doesn't happen for everyone every time. But you're going for little snippets. You come in here. Dave Connors or Matt Brown lead you with this wonderful array of musicians. And you start to sing. And if for the moment you can let yourself Think about God. Think about what you're saying. Forget for the moment that you're a, someone who's gotten mad at people this morning, who was feeling envious and slighted, who was feeling grumpy when you woke up. If just for the moment you just are giving yourself in praise to God, you get to forget yourself. And you find in retrospect, ah, that is a pretty doggone good way to live. Amen. Thank you, Hartley. You're allowed to say amen if you want to. Just don't raise your hands. Just kidding. Raise your hands. Do whatever you want. That's right. I like that. It is so good. Now, see, what happens to a lot of you, a lot of you are introspective types. You're, you, you come outside yourself and watch yourself. You're always watching yourself. And so when you sing, you start to sing. Praise my Lord, the King of Him. And then you, you, you say, wait a second, do I, am I really praising Him right now? Do I really mean this, what I'm saying? What do they think about me? And you know what you're not doing? You're not praising Him anymore! You're having a weird dialogue with yourself in the middle of something special happening. So stop that! You have permission. Jesus gives you permission. All your sins, all your shame... Covered, forgiven. You're one with him. He invites you. He sings a song over you because he likes you. Because he thinks y'all are wonderful. So he says, sing back to me. Let us for a moment all forget ourselves and be enraptured with God. You might only be able to do it for 17 and a half seconds. And it might just be seven seconds. But that's better than zero seconds. Because the more you do it, the more you realize this is actually how you're created to live. You start to give yourself in praise and get liberated from yourself in song. Then you go out into the world and you realize in your work you can do the same. In relationships you can do the same. You don't always have to be examining yourself. You don't always have to be watching yourself. You can give yourself to other people. You can give yourself to your work. You can give yourself to God because you are not the issue anymore. The Lord is king. And he urges us to sing. The reason that he urges us to do this so we can have this joy of rediscovery, his love for us, our love for him, and the rediscovery of one of the best individual gifts of the gospel that it frees us from an inordinate preoccupation with ourselves, teaching us to love God and others. C.S. Lewis, in one place or another, said, I used to be bothered. I used to be bothered by all the commands in the Bible that we should praise God, that we should sacrifice praise to him, that we should give him glory until I realized that when the scriptures are calling us to praise him, 
They're just telling us to do what we always do when we want to have the fullness of appreciating what we really love. Lovers don't have to be told to praise each other. They don't just compliment each other because they're going to get in trouble if they don't. They compliment each other because their enjoyment of the beloved is not complete until they've expressed it. Do you realize this? That's why when you go on a cool vacation, you want to show pictures of it. You want to tell somebody about this wonderful spot because it's not fully realized until you share it. That's why Paul tells us to share our faith because when we share our faith, we come to know again the fullness of everything we've been given in Jesus. And so C.S. Lewis said, when God calls us, as the Scots did in the Westminster Confession of Faith, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever, what He's urging us to do in our songs, in our songs of praise, is an invitation to enjoy Him. See, our singing back to Him is merely a way of expressing the fullness of our appreciation. It's not complete until it's expressed. God wants you to enjoy Him. And that's why He calls you to sing. And you know, one of the things that happens, I left my book. Bring that book, boy. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Taylor. One of the things that happens to us when we start to sing, and this doesn't just happen to us, it happens to the people that you invite to the singing community. Is that you find this, what Anne Lamott found once, before she was a believer. She said there was this ramshackle building with a cross on top. And that she heard this music streaming out the doors, this glorious noise that made her want to come inside long before she could ever stomach listening to a sermon. And she says this, something inside me was stiff and rotting. And when I would listen to the music, I would feel soft and tender. Somehow the singing wore down all the boundaries and distinctions that kept me so isolated. Sitting there, standing with them to sing, sometimes so shaky and sick that I felt I might tip over. I felt bigger than myself, like I was being taken care of. Like I was being tricked into coming back to life. See, God urges us to come together, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together so that we can be this community that does what the world never can do. The world is too filled with itself and with its own vanities to praise anything. The world is filled with jaundiced eyes with snarkiness and cynicism, with complaints, with the presumption of being able to see through everything. But we're the community that has happily and willingly bowed the knee to the one for whom we were made. And we come into this place and the music, the songs, they trick us into coming back to life. They take the stiff and rotting parts of us and they tenderize them and make them fragrant. They can turn a mood, these songs can as God visits us, they can make our faith get bigger 
these songs can. You know, Flannery O'Connor in one place said this. She said, one of my in-laws started going back to church, and here's the reason they gave. They said, I went back to church because the service was so bad, so horrible, I knew there must be something else there to make people come. There's no reason that people would come to sing songs like that, to be in a place like that, to hear a sermon like that. There must be something else going on. And of course there is. You're making space when you come to be tricked back into life. You're making space when you come to sing, to get out of yourself, to have the joy of rediscovering the love of God for which you were made and the love and longing you have for Him. This is not just for us, it's for the world. That they might be brought in on it. That they might hear Christ's song of love over them, His quieting, His soothing, His summoning them out of themselves so that they too can join the chorus that the whole creation was made to sing. About 19 years ago in February, I had purchased a ring. Not for myself. I've never worn jewelry until I got married. Well, kind of. Okay, so I bought this ring. And this ring, I remember getting in the car with my friend Billy Lavin and saying, Billy, this here ring costs more than this car that we're about to drive back from Atlanta in. Which wasn't saying much probably about the ring or the car. The 1987 pink Nissan Sentra, red in the rain, pink when it's dry. (laughs) But I had this ring, and it was burning, as they say, a hole in my pocket. But I could not give this ring to a certain woman that you'll hear about later until I had figured out how I was going to give it to her. And what I figured out I would do was I would take her, pick her up at her house, I would take her to the brow, to a lovely spot on Signal Mountain. We got there, overlooking the city, very cold, it was very cold. She, wondering, what on earth are we doing, sitting out here in the cold? And I went to my pink Nissan Sentra and I got out my guitar case. An aspiring young ballad writer. (laughs) Now, if you're a bad guitar player, your guitar skills do not improve when you cannot feel your fingers. (laughs) Just a word to the wise. But you see, I nonetheless, as I went to get my guitar case, I grabbed this ring as well, and I proceeded to sing two songs that I had written. One, a poem that I had put to music in one, a song about what I hoped would be our future life together. And this song that I sang, one of them was about sharing this life that we were going to go through together. Its refrain was, there isn't much that I can do, but I can share my bread with you. I can sometimes share a tear with you and sometimes share a prayer with you over and over this Envisioning of the aspects of our lives that we would go through with each other. Sharing. Now, 
It was probably horrible for her. But she didn't say no. She said yes. There she sits. She said yes. It occurs to me that the impulse I had to somehow serenade this woman is an impulse that when the scripture wants to help you understand how fierce and durable and loyal God's love is, he he talks about a bridegroom for his wife. When he's gathering his people, he sings over them. And my professor, Reggie Kidd, says this. When you start to realize that Jesus' presence in the church is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Zephaniah to rejoice over us with singing and to quiet us with his love, you realize that a crucial aspect of our salvation comes into perspective. Jesus didn't coldly settle accounts with us and God. He doesn't bark us into improving ourselves. He unites us to himself. We imagine him singing the nations into submission. See, Jesus, when he came, he comes to us with this invitation. Would you be forgiven? Would you be united with me and find the purpose for which you were made for all your days? Would you find a resource of accompaniment through every snarl of life that you'll hit? Would you find the hope of reversal for every horrible thing you've ever known or seen or thought? Would you share that? Then be mine. I came to Kathy not with a contract, but with a song and a gift. And Jesus Christ comes to us with a song that says, unlike the keyboardist in that song, Faithfully, he divorced his wife in a few years after that. All the best songs, the best love songs. When you read the stories, Kenny Rogers, nope. (laughs) Any great love song is a moment of inspiration and it doesn't come true. But Jesus says, I really am forever yours faithfully. Get the joy of rediscovering the one for whom you're made. Get the joy of rediscovering the love that he has for you, which will quiet you and change you and make you into something that you're presently not. Sing to him to forget yourself and to come into contact with your own longings. He comes with a song, and it's all a gift. I hope you will sing together with us. Well and often. Amen.